You're listening to Freedom Christian Fellowship's podcast. Well, why don't you go ahead and open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. And uh, we're going we're gonna to go through this pretty quick. This is not a complicated sermon. There's not a lot of uh, um, rocket science to this sermon. But the, the, the power comes in the application of what we're going to talk about today. And we've been going through a series talking about patterns, and uh, I hope you've enjoyed this. I hope you've got something from this, that you've allowed the Lord to speak to you through this. And the reason why we're doing this is because God has given us patterns through his word that bring life, because they are filled with his truth. I don't know about you, but we need that. We need that in our life. We need to be guided by the word of God in every area of our life, and God graciously has given us a pattern for every area of our life, Not for us to be robots, for us to understand how much he loves us. Every plan I give for my children is not to prove that I'm their dad and that I'm the authoritarian in their life, but it's to let them know that I love them and I want the best for them. Even when I tell them to clean their rooms. Even when I tell them to clean their rooms. Even when I tell you guys to clean your rooms, okay? So, so go do that because I want the best for your life, kids. Um, thank you for letting me do that with my children really quick. So today we're going to talk about God's pattern for loving like Jesus. God's pattern for loving like Jesus. And again, the, everybody, when we read these scriptures, we're all going to nod our head and go, yeah, that's right, that's right. It's stuff we've heard before. It's stuff that we know. We probably, many of us know it by heart. And we maybe even kind of applied a little bit of it, like, to our understanding. But the challenge with this message is not in the revelation. It's not in the agreement of, of what the word is saying. It's the application of it. It's doing these things that Jesus has told us to do, the love the way that Jesus has asked us to love. And that's where we need the Holy Spirit's work. And the application takes two agreements. It takes the agreement that God's word is the final authority. We have to believe that if Jesus said it, and he said it the way he did, and this is what he meant, then it's true, and we must somehow be molded into that. But of course, we simply can't do that on our own ability, can we? We can't look at the word of God and simply just become the word of God, try hard enough. No, the Holy Spirit has to empower us, and that's the second agreement. Because we're going to come to some of these today, and it might challenge us. It might may, mean that we have, to, we have to go and do things a little differently in the way that we love people. And we might have some conflict there. And if you face that today, in any point of this message, know that this is not a spank on the hand or a rebuke. This is God's love for us to grow us. Because I promise you, Anytime we agree with the word of God, there is a powerful transformation that takes place for our better, for our good. And so we have to come, therefore, and ask the Holy Spirit to empower us to be the word made flesh, to be the word of God inside of us, to be able to live that out the way that Jesus did. So in saying that, let's pray and invite the Holy Spirit. Father, we do love you, and we thank you for your word. Jesus, we thank you that you are the word made flesh, and that your word, you, Jesus, have the power to transform us, to change us, to renew us, to build us up, to help us to become that which we've been created to be. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you've given us not just eyes to see and hearts ready to receive, but you've also given us the power to conform entirely into your word. So empower us, Holy Spirit. Bring joy, bring peace today, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, I talk a lot about my kids, and I talk a lot about, I've been talking a lot about my dogs, and I've got uh, uh, one more story about my dogs. Um, I, I love my dogs. Um, 
Some people argue that I don't love them equally, but I do. I've got um, a Siberian husky named Coda. She's a girl. She's beautiful. She's majestic. She looks like she could bite your face off, but she'll just lick it. She's super sweet. She's super smart. Um, She's the one that if I pet on the belly like this and I stop, she'll put her paw on my arm and drag it back like just like 20 times in a row. She's just great. And then I have my Malty Poo. It was a boy. His name is Judo. I named him that by faith um, just because I knew he was going to face obstacles being a little curly-headed white dog. Like he was just going to be like, you know, nobody would respect him. So I'm like, I'm going to give you a name of authority, Judo. And so Judo is is Judo. And Judo um, is a bit of a, of just, he's whiny. Like, he, he'll bark at anything. Like, if any of my dogs were going to rip your face off, it would be Judo. He's like, jump all over you. But Judo likes to get dirty. Like, this dog likes to get dirty. And if anybody has a multi-poo or some kind of breed like that, that's white, you know that white things that get dirty are hard to clean. And so, man, over time, like, this dog like, literally, give this dog a bath. This dog will go out into the yard and roll around in the dirtiest, smelliest thing you can find. And you just kind of go, oh, man. You kind of shun judo away. Except for one person in my, my home, one of my children. My youngest, Lily, has this insane, unnatural love for judo. She loves this dog. She treats this dog like a baby doll. So she will take judo And when it's time to clean judo, she'll get into our shower in our master bedroom and get into her bathing suit and get in the shower with judo and take a shower with judo, like wash judo up, and then pull judo out in a blanket and hold him like a a towel and hold him like a baby, and then blow dry him and comb him. And judo just eats this up. It's almost to the point where, like, even though judo's a family dog, it's it's really Lily's dog. And I'm not kidding you, I cannot make this up. We had to pull down our, we have an, um, an above-ground pool, and over the winter we had to pull it down and clean it up and, and fix it and fix the foundation of it. And while we pulled it off, if you've ever had to do that, I don't know what kind of death and nastiness resides under a pool, but it is the funkiest thing in the planet. I'm not joking, it stinks, it stinks so bad. I can't even have, I don't have words for it. I'm like, I'd go outside and be like, what? What? Who died? Oh, my gosh. You know, I don't know what's happening. And, of course, my dog, Judo, found that spot. And this is not a little pool. Like, this is, this is a, a 20-foot round pool, and it's, it's pretty big. But Judo knows. Ju- Judo knows. And Judo ran not to the edge of it, but in the middle of it. Where he knew that if he rolled around, and he did, he rolled on his back and rolled on his side and did his little nose. He knew somebody's going to have to get into the mess to go get him. And I'm like, no, I, I, give me my pellet gun. I'll get him out, right? You know, you know, uh, no, uh-uh. But here goes Lily. She goes out there. She gets her feet dirty. She climbs out there. She scoops him up, pulls him in, gives him a bath. Cleans them up. We got to think about that. And I began to think about that in just times of reflection and going, you know, really, honestly, that's how Jesus loved me. And that's how Jesus loves me. He continues to love me that way. Because there are absolute times that I know to do better and I don't. And I don't just get on the edge of something, I get fully in the middle of it. Where nobody really 
would want to pull me out except for the love of Jesus. And this morning, we're going to look at a conversation that's actually in three of the Gospels. It's also in, in Mark and Matthew. And, and it's a familiar conversation. It's something that churches have stamped all over their buildings. But I want, to, I want to look at this a little different today, if you'll allow me to. And this conversation happens in Luke 10, verses 25 through 28. I'm going to read this to you. And you can follow on the screens or your phones, whatever your preferred method is. Verse 25, it says this. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responded and said, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Jesus asked him two questions. So, so far, there's been three questions asked. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Now, I need to just give you a little bit of context for this that we see here because this conversation is similar to the ones that happened in Mark and Matthew, except for this time, the teacher of the law comes up and asks Jesus a question. And in this account, in Luke's account, the teacher of the law answers the question. But these are all very important questions that the teacher of the law is asking him. And the way Jesus responds to him gives us a little bit of insight on the nature of how Jesus loves. Because Jesus opens up the door wide open to this teacher of the law, somebody who understood the law of Moses, and asks him this very important question that can actually be asked to every one of us. And it's this. What is written in the law? Here's what Jesus was asking him. He's not asking him, listen, what does the law say? I don't want you to re recite the entire law of Moses to me. What Jesus is asking him is this. Is when you read it, when you read the law, when you read the word, when you, when you look at the word of God, what stands out to you? What jumps off the page to you? What do you think carries my father's heart? Jesus knew exactly what he was asking him. He knew exactly what he was saying to him. And he left the door wide open to him because he said, listen, I don't want to know what you know. I want to know what you believe. I don't want to know what you know. I want to know what you believe, what you're going to put into application into your life. And then he asks him another question. He says, how do you read it? How do you read it? And here's the question for every one of us when we look at the word of God. How are we reading it? No, seriously, listen to what I'm saying. How do you read it? Do you read it through the lens of your experience, of your upbringing, of your church life? Do you read it through the lens of this world? Do you read it through the problems of this world? Do you read it through the problems of your life? Or do you read it from the heart of God? And Jesus is asking both of those questions. What jumps out to you, teacher? And then what do you think about it? What do you think my father is saying? How do you read it? When you read it, how does it hit you? How does it apply to your life? And I believe Jesus is inviting us into two very important conversations that every one of us need to have. And one involves a collision, the collision between love and the law. Because Jesus opened up the door to the teacher of the law and to every one of us and said, listen, what to you is the importance of the law? What to you is the importance of the law? How do you see the law fulfilled? What's the greatest in the, uh, about Moses' law that you see? And the question can be asked to every one of us. How do we interpret love? Do we interpret love through the law? 
Do we interpret the law, the love through the law of wrong and right, of good and bad, of just and unjust? Because Jesus was inviting this question. And see, what happened is that he provoked something in this teacher's spirit because the word of God is alive. The law of God is alive. And Jesus triggered something in this teacher's spirit that brought out the truth of God's heart. And in this collision between love and the law, we see two important things. We see several important things. First is this. Was Jesus dismissing the law? Was Jesus saying the law counts for nothing? And you need to hear this because this is maybe something that is, is a conversation that you have in your head or you have with people. And Jesus absolutely, undoubtedly, was not dismissing the law. He was not pushing the law of Moses aside and saying it has no value to this point. What he was doing was this, is he was fulfilling the law through the law of love. He was fulfilling the law through the law of love. And here's why. It's because the law of love brings and produces something inside of us. It produces something inside of us supernatural. And here's what Jesus was saying is this, is if the love the law of love exists in your heart for God. If it dwells in your spirit for God, you're not going to need to look at a tablet to tell you not to murder, to tell you not to steal, to tell you not to commit adultery or cheat. But when you cultivate the love of God in your heart, the spirit of God is going to dwell in you and it's going to lead you. It's going to lead you into the truth of who I am. See, the law of love has the ability to lead us, to guide us. It fulfills the law. It fulfills the law. The law of love fulfills the law. And not only that, but it engages our hearts to begin to see mercy. That we begin to see mercy. Why? Very simply. And it's something that I think we just kind of pass by in our day-to-day -day life. But we actually need to attach it in. And that's why Jesus gave it in the Lord's Prayer. Please hear me on this. When Jesus taught us to pray, there's a very important part of that. And he says this, forgive us our trespasses, forgive us our daily sins, as we forgive those who sinned against us. Why is that important? Why is that an important daily practice? Because it puts us under the lens of mercy, and that is the law of love. And for a second, the second we take our eyes off the law of love, and we begin to justify ourselves in our ability or our works, we step off the seat of mercy. And we forget the mercy by which we've been saved. See, and if the mercy of God can extend to you no matter where your sin level was, and we like to do that, we like to push it up and down and move it all around, but it doesn't matter to God. Sin is sin is sin. And no matter where your sin was before you knew Jesus, the love of God came in, the love of Jesus Christ came in and rescued you. That mercy came in. And it brings us under that understanding we need to stay in that place. And the collision of love and the law has to be settled in our hearts, and we have to live by the law of love. We have to live by the law of love. Jesus talked about love in this way concerning the law. As he said this, love can only be received through the grace of Jesus. What was he saying about the law when he asked this teacher of the law, what's the greatest law? How do you read it? What stands out to you? And immediately this man's heart said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. I could see this stuff almost involuntarily flowing out of his mouth. And Jesus said, you nailed it, man. You got it. 
Why? And actually, I believe it's Mark's account. When Jesus says this, when Jesus actually was tested by a Pharisee and says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The reply from the Pharisee is, you know what? That's right. It's greater than any sacrifice. Here's what he's saying. That through the entirety of the law, all the things that we did, all the things we were told to do, it couldn't save us. The only salvation comes through Jesus Christ. The only salvation comes through Jesus Christ. And when we look firmly into the law of love, and we come to that place, and we understand that mercy that's been shed to us, what happens is this, is that we cultivate a relationship with Jesus Christ that keeps us surrounded in grace. And friends, you need to be surrounded in grace every day, every second of every day. You need to be surrounded in grace If you are listening or looking or talking to anybody in this planet, you need to be surrounded in grace. Because grace reminds us, hey, listen, we didn't deserve this. But somebody loved us. And somebody rescued us. And that same person who loved me and rescued me saw the best of me. Saw me how he created me to be. And he sees that same person over here in my workplace, in my neighborhood. Online, on the TV, the same way, the same way. It keeps us tied into the law of love. The next thing that Jesus does is this, is he settles another question when he asks the teacher of the law, how do you read it? And I'm just clarifying these things. I hope you, hope you understand. I hope you're sticking with me. And it's another truth that we have to hold to. It's a very important truth. And this is that. That God is love. That God is love. But love is not God. Hear me. God is love. Love is not God. The Beatles famously wrote a song that said, all we need is love, love, love. And friends, if that were true, then the generation in the 60s and the 70s of hippies would have solved all the world's problems. But they didn't, did they? See, Jesus invited a conversation with this teacher of the law. That's a very powerful thing that keeps us on track. Is that we have to function under God's love, not our idea of love. Because love alone can't fix everything. Love alone can't fix everything. It's very simple. Why? Because our love is incomplete, isn't it? In Luke 6, we're going to read about in just a few minutes. In Luke 6, Jesus actually brings his point to the forefront when he says, Listen, anybody can love somebody that's like them. Anybody can love somebody that they agree with, that they like. Anybody can do that. People in the world do that. But I'm asking you to do something different. I'm asking you to love people who don't like you, who hate you. I'm asking you to love people that owe you something, that are indebted to you. I'm asking you to love them. And see, that's the reality that, and the difference between our love And it's not just about good works apart from the truth of who Jesus is. Love alone can't fix everything. Our love falls short. It's incomplete. And so Jesus is asking him this, and we see it through the answer. And if you just look a little deeper, you'll see it too. And it's this understanding that Jesus wasn't just talking about doing good works. He wasn't talking about running around with random acts of kindness and going and doing that apart from the revelation of God of Jesus, 
But he was inviting us into this radical lifestyle to love people past ourselves and to introduce them to the one who can truly make them free. And that is God's love. When we go and love somebody who is broken, who is hurting, who is needful, but yet we bring them to Christ, not just to the point of their need. And this is what Jesus is saying. And sometimes in our culture, we've got that confused. We hear things like, what would happen if we just loved one another? Everybody just loved. It's not enough. It's not enough. It's only through God's love that it's enough. Because only through God's love do men become free. Only through God's love do men become free. The teacher of the law goes on and asks one more important question. On who we are to love. Because the question we should all have is this, who am I supposed to love then? If I'm going to love like Jesus, what does that look like and who do I love? It's very simple. In Luke 10, 29, just right after this conversation, the, the teacher of the law got up and he wanted to justify himself. And so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Four questions now in this conversation. Who is my neighbor? And so Jesus famously gives the parable of the Good Samaritan that we all are probably familiar with. And it goes like this. A man was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. And on the way, he got ambushed and beat up. He got robbed of all of his stuff, stripped of all of his clothes, and left for dead. It was a awful, awful sight. Jesus is telling this teacher of the law there this story. And then he goes on and says, listen, a priest comes by. And seeing him opts to do what sometimes we all do, right? Walk on the other side of the road. Basically, it's kind of the unspoken thing that we say. If we don't make eye contact with somebody, we're just simply not responsible. We can always fall back on the idea, like, I didn't really see anything go down. You know what I'm saying? And this is what this priest was doing. And he just kind of like sidelined it, looked the other way, and kept on hoofing down the road. And then Jesus goes, listen, then a Levite came, and a Levite would have been considered somebody who was knowledgeable in the worship of God. Like he was a worshiper of God. So the priest would have been knowledgeable in the law of God. The Levite would have been knowledgeable in the worship of God. And Jesus comes to him and goes and says, and then a Levite came walking down the road and busts the same move that the priest did. And you can only imagine what this teacher of the law is thinking. Oh, well, that's a bum priest and a bum Levite. You know what I'm saying? They're going to get theirs, right? It's easy. It's easy to justify that. It's easy to justify that, isn't it? Think about it for just a second, right? We got bad people in all professions, don't we, right? There's always a bad apple in the bunch. And so, of course, here we go. We've got the bad priest and we got the bad Levite. Shame on them. They're going to get theirs, right? And so the teacher of the law could be easily thinking that. But then Jesus flips the script, and this is what's so amazing about Jesus, because Jesus doesn't do anything on accident. I want you to say that in your heart. Jesus doesn't do anything on accident. Because Jesus introduces to the teacher of the law something he could not deny, something that he hated. He introduced to him a Samaritan, and that's entirely not accidental. Jesus did that on purpose. And many of you know this, but to a Jew, a Samaritan was less than a dog, was their arch enemy. They hated him. 
wouldn't give him the scraps on their table. Wouldn't stop, wouldn't care about him, despise him, would throw rocks at him, would put them out on the street if they had the opportunity to. They hated, they abhorred all of the Samaritans. And so immediately, in my mind at least, whenever Jesus says, now here comes a Samaritan, I could just imagine this teacher of the law kicking back and going, oh yeah, this guy's probably going to go finish him off, isn't he? He's going to go just like stab him a few times and make sure he's dead and walk down the road. And then Jesus goes, the Samaritan walked by and he stopped and he saw him and he walked over to him and he took off clothes and he made bandages for his wounds. And then he took wine and olive oil and he poured them over the wounds and gave him some nourishment. And you could just probably just start to hear the teacher of the law's jaw drop going, what? What are you talking about? And then Jesus goes on and he says, listen, that's, all, that's not all. As this Samaritan takes and puts this man on his donkey, which meant the Samaritan walked. And this Jewish man rode. And then he takes him into town and he takes him to an inn. And he pays for the man to have a room and he pays for the man to have care. He stays the first night with him. And then when his journeys have to take him apart from that place, he goes to the innkeeper and he gives him two denarii, which is two days' wage, and says, listen, take care of him for two more days. And then I will come back and check on him. And anything you spent extra, anything at all, if this dude wants some coffee and some eggs, it's on me. Everything is on me. I got the tab. I'm going to come back, make sure he's all right, and I'm going to settle all of his debts. You probably couldn't have wired this teacher of the law's jaw shut. I mean, he's, he's, you got to think about it. I don't, I'm pretty sure none of you have enemies like that or people that you would think that would be this way, like a, a Jew thought about a Samaritan. But I want you to really capture this because Jesus was doing something for us. He was doing something for us. He was teaching us how to love. Because remember the question, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor then that I'm to love Jesus in this radical way? That's touching my heart right now. And Jesus asked him this question. He goes, who do you think, who do you think out of these three was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Four quick things I want to tell you about what it means to love like Jesus. These are really fast. Write them down, please. How do we love like Jesus? We have to give love that meets a need and heal a hurt where there's a hurt. We have to give love that meets a need. Where we see a need, we need to meet a need. Where we see a hurt, we need to heal it. In Matthew 25, 34 through 40, I'm not going to read it, but Jesus basically has a conversation. He says, it's going to be like this at the end of days. I'm going to separate people in the right and left columns. And I'm going to look at those on the right and I'm going to say, look, hey, guess what? You didn't know this, but when I was naked, you clothed me. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was imprisoned, you came and visited me. And their reply is, Jesus, we, we didn't know that was you. We didn't know it was you. We didn't know we did this to you. And Jesus' response is this, very simple, very powerful. When you did it to the least of these, you did it unto me. Anybody here remember Keith Green? Back in the 70s, the famous Christian singer, Nobody? A few? Thank you. He wrote a very amazing song. You can Google play it. It's great. 
He talked about this, and it's a very practical, powerful thing about how we are to love the way Jesus does. What do you see when you see your community? Do you see the hurts? Do you see the needs? Are you looking to meet those things? What do you see when, the de- when you see the destitute and the broken and the confused and the bound? Are you prepared in your heart to meet a need? Are you prepared in your heart to love them the way Jesus did? Are you prepared in your heart to bring them to the truth of Jesus through your love? Are you prepared? See, because this is an instant, this is an instant illustration of the parable of the Good Samaritan. Two walked by, one stopped. Where do you see hurts and needs? Are you asking the Lord to show you? Are you you looking for those things in your workplace, in your home? Some of those hurts and needs exist in your home. The Holy Spirit wants to equip you to heal those things. Some of these exist in your school. There's broken and hurting people. And God's asking us to look and to see with his eyes. He's asking us to look at a need and ask the Holy Spirit, how can I meet this need? You know, these aren't complicated things. Sometimes it's a simple hello or a how are you doing or a hug. Sometimes it's the gift of food or the gift of time. Sometimes it's a prayer. Do you see your hurt? Do you look to meet a hurt? I believe this is who you are. Number two, give love that moves past our feelings, our preferences, and our opinions. This is where it gets challenging. But I want to read to you something that Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 32 through 36. Let's come to the word and let's agree with the word of God. It says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. And i got to be honest with you, this is probably one of the more challenging things that Jesus ever said. Because it contradicts all of our natural feelings. But here's what Jesus is introducing when we choose to love like him and we choose to move past our feelings and our preferences and our opinions on who can be loved and who should be loved is that we invite the greatest gift, the gift that heals and the gift that brings people to Jesus, the gift of mercy. And when we invite mercy into a situation, what it does is it begins to take root deeper in our life and we begin to live in a place of mercy. The third thing is this. Give love that displays the truth of the love love that Jesus loved us with. Give love that displays the truth of the love that Jesus loved us with. Justin, you come up, man. In John 15, 12 through 14, he says this, My command is this. You heard Buddy say it earlier. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. It's amazing to think that the love of Jesus Asks us to do something that moves past us. But this is what Jesus did for us. This is what Jesus did for us. Stop and think for a second. 
begin to process the relationships in your life, the ones that you know, the ones that maybe you come about incidentally in your life, the people you drive by that maybe you see every day. I see a guy that works at the corner store in my neighborhood at least four times a week. He's a Muslim fella. He's a great guy. I started calling him my brother, and I started telling him what I do. I started introducing things, and here's why. It's because I realized this, is that I don't gain anything by isolating people. And I don't gain anything by being afraid of people. And if the love of God could have saved this wretched person, and I was no less wretched than the most wretched person on this earth, neither were you, and could rescue me, then what really am I afraid of? Let me ask you that question. What really are you afraid of? When you come up against somebody who doesn't agree with you or doesn't look like you or opposes you even, what are you afraid of? Are you afraid of them stealing something from you? Because everything that makes you secure in the love of Christ can never be stolen from you. Are you afraid that your words aren't enough? Well, just get over it because they're not. Your words simply aren't enough, but you know what it is? The love of Jesus. And you know what's so amazing when we look at Jesus' life is that not for one second, not for one step, one minute of his ministry on this earth, was he ever concerned about how deep somebody was in sin? And here's why I believe he wasn't. is because he was absolutely con- convinced about the depth of his love. And see, what's transformational in the world today is people who are really captured. Not, not, like, not like we just mentally, like we're shaking our heads, yes, like, hey, good word, pastor. But like, we really capture it. We really get it. That the love of God is powerful and it holds us in places that we don't deserve, that we don't, we don't, we never earn. Like, like the love of God holds me there. And the love of God wasn't afraid of my sin. And the love of God wasn't afraid of the mess that I was, and sometimes I am. But he came in and he stepped into total darkness and total depravity and he rescued me. Why? Because he was convinced. That the love of God is greater than any sin. And what will heal the world? Hear me on this. I promise you nothing else will. There will not ever be a political figure that we elect in this country. There will not ever be a government that is constructed by man. It will not happen. Write it down. Mark it on this day and date. Please understand me. But what will heal the world? Is when we love and are compelled to love with the love of how Jesus loved us. And we become a fearless people because we know the power of the love of Jesus. And finally, give love that displays the truth of who Jesus is. I said it earlier, God is love, love is not God. But we can't see it any clearer than this in John three sixteen and 17. We know this by heart. For God so loved the world that he gave his only, one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God loved the world. Stop. So he sent his son Jesus. Stop. The world couldn't rescue themselves. Stop. 
Jesus could only save them, stop. And the revelation of Jesus does not bring condemnation, stop. But the revelation of Jesus brings life, stop. And when we love people the way Jesus loved people, and we point them to Jesus, there is something that is irresistible about the truth of knowing that somebody laid down their life for them, that they could be free from the things that ensnare them and bind them, and they could know really what life is, and they only know it through Jesus Christ. God is love. He proved it through his son, Jesus We can't do any of this unless the love of Jesus has filled our hearts. Do you know the love of Jesus has healed your heart? Is your heart broken this morning? Then when we wrap up, I want to invite you to come and receive ministry. We'll have elders and teams up here that want to pray with you. But lay it at the feet of Jesus. Let Jesus heal your heart. Maybe this is close to home and, 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 the, and the, the struggle is right there at home. And you're saying, I don't know how to fix this person. I don't know how to get this person right. And I'm wrestling with it. I'm wrestling with it. Stop wrestling. Because I can promise you, behind that wrestling, there's been some marks and some pain that's been left. And what you need to do is you need to say, God, I am laying this at your feet. Why? Because I can't fix it, but your love can. And so what I need you to do is I need you to heal my heart first. I need to get just completely overwhelmed by your love. Like I need to really feel like a daddy wrapped me up in his arms and loved me and cradled me and heal my heart and say, hey, it's going to be okay. I know this thing that's stinging your heart right now, I'm going to lift it off of you. I'm going to touch your heart. I'm going to heal your heart so that the love of God, my love can flow through you and it can begin to permeate out to the relationships in your life. You got to know the love of God that heals you because if it hasn't healed you, it will not come out of you to heal anybody. Are you growing in it every day? Do you have a relationship? Hey, listen, I, I made mistakes early on in my ministry and one of them was this, is that I'm like, hey, you know what? Reading plans, Bible reading plans are okay. You don't need to like just read your Bible every day. No, refrain. Bad, bad, bad pastor. Bad pastor. All right, listen, have a, have a daily Bible reading plan every day, <clears throat> every day, every day, every day. Why? Because the word of God is life and it will reveal the love of Christ to you and it will change your life. Grow in the love of God every day. Every day, sit in the word and say, even if I just read one chapter, I'm going to get the love of God and it's going to be all over me. Are you looking for ways to display the love of Jesus? And then when you see him, speak it. Give it. Release it. Are you seeing broken kids in your school, young people? Are you sitting by them? Are you loving on them? Are you talking to people that nobody talks to? Are you looking in your eyes and asking Jesus, what do you think about this person? Are you doing it in your workplace? Guys, listen, I don't normally close like this. But one day we're going to wake up and it's going to be done. And we're going to stand in the presence of Jesus and we're going to see that everything, everything was possible. The only thing that stood in the way 
was what we chose to agree with. Let's agree with the love of God. Stand to your feet. I'm going to invite some of the ministry teams to come up. Please. And as we close with this, in just a second, the worship team's going to play. And if you need prayer this morning, specifically if you need any kind of prayer for the love of God to heal your heart, your heart is broken. Your heart is broken. I'll be up here too. Come up and receive ministry, please. But I want to invite every one of you to make an altar right where you are. And say, God, would you begin to compel my heart with your love so that I can begin to love the way that Jesus loved. Show me the people I need to love. Show me who I need to love. So, Father, I thank you this morning. Holy Spirit, as you go all over this place and you touch and you speak to every heart, Lord, there, there are there those here that are broken, God, that are, that are hurting. Holy Spirit, touch their hearts right now. Touch them with the love of the Father that heals their hearts. Holy Spirit, begin to compel us to love the way Jesus did. It's not easy. We know it's not easy. God, there's simply people we don't like, if we're honest. There's people we don't agree with, people we don't like, people that even maybe feel like enemies. But Jesus, you asked us to love them because you love them. And because your love is great and your love is able to heal and to make whole. So begin to heal our hearts and give us eyes to see so that we may love like you.